Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Ads Lyson. If you want 15% off your surfing and outdoor gear, look no further. Go to North Korea on the internet and use the code, capital letters, Grumpy Surf with an extra capital F on the end of surf to receive 15% off your purchase. On the podcast today, I have one of surfing style icons. He surfs a variation of wave riding sleds, but is also known for his longboarding prowess and his mid-length flow and style. My guest has also rejuvenated the WSL Longboard Tour and become its commissioner. Please enjoy part one of my conversation with Devon Howard. Devin Howard, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm just waking up. We, we have a one-month-old, so anyone who knows what that's like, um, it's, it's great, but, you know, you get to sleep when you can. So when I had to hit the alarm this morning, I was like, man, I got to get my act together and get on and talk to the grumpy surfer. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, people can give you lots of different books and lots of different advice about children, but until you actually have them yourself and you start experiencing it, it's like straight over the top of your head, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and and as people also say, you know, each child is different. You know, some some people have an angel baby, and they just do everything, go to sleep, <laughs> don't cry much, and, and then some get the Hellraiser baby. <laughs> Uh, I would say we're we're leaning on close to Angel Baby. We've been pretty fortunate, and uh, yeah, it's been awesome, man. We're just in total awe. You, you know, you just could literally, as people told me I would do, is you will be content, quite content, staring at them all day. <laughs> oh, did you see? He smiled. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm, I'm we're really happy. I know it's quite a selfish thing to say, but how is it affecting your day-to-day, you know, your business and, and you getting into the water as well? Well, um, my, my uh, not too bad. My, my wife um, has decided to take some time off. She's a farm manager, which in agriculture, it's a pretty like involved, like six, seven days a week job. So she's taken a pause and um, I've been able to get in the water um, more than I imagined. We, we've had the best winter here in California in many years. And I, I know some surfers that, you know, they've been in the water for 50 plus years and they were calling this run of surf among, you know, top two or three of the last 50 years. I mean, that's, that's saying something. I mean, the quality has been unreal. So she, my, my wife, Caitlin has uh, been kind enough to encourage me to go catch a few in between and, and I took a few weeks off work, and, but now I'm, I'm getting back into it and we're getting our groove. Yeah, a lot of the footage coming out of Hawaii and that big Pacific groundswell that's been hitting there is it was absolutely epic. And I can imagine the fetch that's that's going to have from there to where you are on the west coast of America should, you know, you should see that pretty soon too. I sure hope so. You know, so, sometimes the things that hit Hawaii don't hit us quite as big as you would think. It just depends on if it's coming down north from the Aleutian Islands or if it's coming more west, like from as far as, say, Japan. But, yeah, we have no complaints. And and the thing that really pulls it together here, just like anywhere, just like where you live, is the conditions. You know, a lot of times we'll see swell, but it just it doesn't come together with the wind or the tide, you know. And that was what really was mind blowing is we had these crisp 
clear skies, warm weather, offshore winds. Um, and that's when you get those classic California uh, conditions. I, I saw a photo of a break I grew up at in San Diego. I won't name the name because it's a very special spot, but um, the photos that I'd seen of it, uh, I've, I've never in my entire life seen it that clean and that perfect. I mean, it, 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 it didn't even look real. <laughs> so it's cool to experience that. And, and I, I haven't missed too much, which, so I, I got to say I'm pretty lucky. Yeah. I've been watching quite a lot of the log wrap off, uh, off YouTube. And yep. uh, one of the things I, I'm absolutely addicted to is uh, California soul. Just the people's surfing in there, and especially, you know, around where you live is predominantly where it's filmed, isn't it? I know the film you're talking about. It's on the Nobody Surf. It's a really nice, pure surfing film. Lots of really good rides, very flowing, some good turns, a mixture of shortboarding, mid-length and, and longboarding as well. And that's been really well put together. Yeah, no, that's really good. There's a, there's so much good stuff to watch nowadays. It's... Yeah, the the conditions over here, it's kind of been getting me through it, if I'm perfectly honest. It's because uh, we're, we're sort of midwinter at the moment. Yeah, I mean, winter is the best time for the UK um, to go surfing because we do get those big swells coming from the uh, from the Atlantic, um, from the low pressures. But yeah, like you're saying, it's all condition orientated and our climate as an island is not, particularly great at the best of the time so <laughs> producing those offshore winds and the tides and stuff like that it's just you know hit bit hit and miss sometimes yeah well i know but l luckily we have technology and the wetsuits and all the gears have never been better so you know i i think 30 years ago it was almost like unimaginable that people would be surfing the conditions they are now on a regular basis you know so a lot a lot more surfs accessible I mean, I went surfing yesterday and I had a 5.43 with a hood, some 4mm gloves and 5mm boots and I was in the water for two hours and I was not cold when I got out. The only reason why I got out was because I had to go back to work. So, <laughs> Have you ever surfed in the UK or been over on some trips? Um, I have. Um, it is quite a while ago. I, I have to try to think back to what year it was, but I want to say it was like 2000 six or seven or something like that um and we were in uh is it croyd bay area oh yeah that's literally 10 minutes down the road from where i work yeah yeah so there saunton all that that sort of yeah, zone. saunton sands yeah and then we went up to what was then a, a secret spot that left just up north of there i don't know if you're allowed to say the name of it but that it's not particularly secret anymore, but yeah, we'll, we'll just keep it like that because I've been getting some uh, bit of grief off people recently. Yeah, and and so, yeah, it was pretty unreal. We we didn't, we were there. Um, there was a, there was a surf shop that opened in that town. And I don't think the surf shop is around anymore. It was just for a, a few years. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I can't even remember the name of the shop at the moment, but... Was, uh, it we, the, was it in the little village just outside of Croydon, Saunton, by any chance? Yeah. Um, it was just around for a few years, maybe okay. 2007, 2008. Um, anyways, they had an opening. They invited myself, Tyler Hatzikian, uh Dane Peterson. I think, Al I think Al Alex knows, maybe. I can't remember. Um, 
Yeah, I think Alex noticed as well. It was uh, quite a little gathering, and uh, yeah, we had a blast, man. And we also were able to go over to Ireland. Um, and I, I don't know if it was because of the weather or whatever, but I, I ended up connecting with Ireland maybe a little more. Just, just got more of a groove there. I think. Um, uh, you know, there was a lot less people there. Even, even when we were there, it was pretty busy at, at Croyd and something, even in that, that's what, 14, 15 years ago, it was still pretty crowded then. Um, surfing was just like really coming on then in that area, it was like exploding. Um, and then we went to Ireland, it was like, well, oh, there's, there's like no one around. It was, it was quite a difference, but beautiful area. Um, I mean, I, I would recommend to people to, to put that on the list of places to go. It's extremely beautiful, cool to see all the old history and, you know, going down those, um, what do you call those hedge roads or what, what are those roads you have? They're like really narrow. Yeah, we call them country roads. Country roads. And I mean, there's that much room on each side of the car. And then if someone's coming, you know, someone has to back up for a mile and find a little place to pull out before you keep going a couple of years ago there's a there's a like a big national park area around here called dartmoor and uh you know humvees somebody was driving one of those humvees down one of those lanes and i was like how did you even get it down there to be honest how come you guys were over here anyway were you here on a sponsored trip or was it just yeah oh the shop was called loose fit okay as quite a while ago um he just, uh, you know, the guy that opened the shop was really into traditional longboard surfing and fish boards. And, and this was a few years after the film Sprout had really sort of um, sunk in with people and, and made a sort of a huge impact. So there was a real trend, I, I guess you could say. And I think this guy was sort of watching that trend happening in California and thought, oh, well, maybe I'll be one of the first shops in the area to really embrace this whole thing. And so, yeah, he flew a bunch of us out. Um, it's quite an investment on his part, but I, we appreciate it. Thank you. Cause it was um, a, a really good reason to a good excuse to come and visit you, you guys in that area. And um, I mean, it was awesome. I would, I would definitely go back there. Yeah, I think the area that, the the <laughs> the area that we're in around here is is one of my favourite places in the UK, and I'm lucky enough to live. I, I live about an hour and ten minutes away down the road, and I'm lucky enough to to work here as well. So, I think it's one of the most scenic places, but I think it's also one of the most consistent and best breaking waves. And you've got two areas, like you're saying, you've got Saunton, which is predominantly for longboarding. And then yeah. you've got Croyd Bay, which is for your short borders. So when the tide's low or you've got some good sandbanks working there. You yeah. Know, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of variety for people to, to get on. And I think that's, a, especially in, in the UK, it's quite a, a niche area for people to be. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, man. So you guys are, you guys are stoked. And um, who knows, maybe I'll get back and see you again one day soon. <laughs> yeah well one day soon probably in about 10 years time with all this going on yeah i don't think it doesn't seem like much is, is doesn't seem like much is changing quickly but we'll see um 
think things do also move and change quickly. So maybe there'll be some good news sooner, sooner than later. One of the things you touched on there was the, the amount of people that you saw even back there 15 years ago. What are your views on like localism these days, especially with local spots, people that live in those areas? But you've also, because surfing now has exploded exponentially, Sure. especially during this COVID period as well, where people want yep. to get into the water. Is there such thing as a local anymore? Um, well, I, I, gosh, that's such a big slippery slope conversation. I'll, I'll try to answer it the best I can, which is, you know, there's just a cultural shifts happen continuously in our world, whether you, you know, it's where you live or where I live, regardless of surfing, things are changing. Just, just look at the political landscape of our lives right now. We used to not talk about politics. Now everyone talks about everything is political and everything's horrible. About it. It's like, that wasn't that way just even a couple of years ago. So it's the same with surfing, you know, because it's a limited resource X number of years ago, there were cultural norms, let's call them, which is anything in life, there's cultural no norms. I go to Hawaii, it's, you know, most, most of the homes there would expect that you leave your shoes at the front door. That's a cultural norm. You come to California, the majority of people leave their shoes on when they go in their home. In surfing, the cultural norms were all the things that we don't want to bore people to death, but there's protocols, you know, of showing up to the beach without a huge group of people, <laughs> you know, maybe yourself and one of the friends entering the water and not just cutting right in front of line. Again, I, 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 we, we could go on for quite a long time. There is still a thing as localism, but it means different things to different people. The word localism often comes um, with this the connotation of violence. I mean, it is so rare to see violence, so I don't really see the word localism connected to violence anymore. It's, it, most places, that especially um, in urban areas, it's pretty rare that someone's actually going to get into a fist fight over surfing. However, people do now believe that language is violence. <laughs> so the word localism still comes with some like heavy feelings. And, and for new people, it's very confusing. You know, it's like, isn't surfing just, you know, isn't it just fun? Don't you just go out and, and frolic, you know? And, and because there are so many people that come into surfing, there, there's there's no way to sort of integrate them into the culture. Um, I'm almost 47. And when I started surfing as a little, little guy, six, seven years old, eight years old, my mom gave me some basics on the understanding of surfing. And she explained to me about paddling out and not getting in people's way and not dropping in on somebody. So I was fortunate that my I had my mother to explain all these things to me. There's a lot of people that don't have that you know they go to the surf shop they get the board probably a soft board and away they go maybe they find a few videos online by and large most people don't go to surf schools so they they, they bypass all of that onboarding knowledge that's passed on I'll, I'll let you speak here i've been kind of rambling but the the localism piece of it is it's it's crumbling and for some people, that is a good thing and some it isn't. You know, there, there's this idea of you don't own the ocean, there are no rules, you know, screw you. Um, and so it's, 
because of that, you've got generations that have grown up with these cultural norms and you have a new generation or two that either are unaware of them or don't care about them. So then you have tension. And it's kind of, it, to me, it reminds me of like me surfing with a Brazilian or an Israeli surfer. Brazilians and Israelis are notorious for having some of the worst surf etiquette on the planet. And that's from the perspective of an American, a Hawaiian, an Australian, maybe UK. We, we all grew up with the same development of the culture in, in many ways, in, in the, the modern sense. Hawaii excluded of, you know, pre-1900, that's a totally different thing. But in the modern, you know, the rebirth of surfing with Duke Ahanamoku, George Freeth, and onward, we developed together. And so when the Brazilians and Israelis come in, they, they didn't grow up with this culture of wait your turn and that there's a sort of a rhythm to things. They're, they're coming more from sport, like a soccer game or something, and take um, and that creates its own conflict. And, and so you have these long established cultures butting heads with these other newer surf cultures. And then you have the newest surf culture, which is no surf culture. <laughs> so it, it, it's amazing that, that this many people want to continue to surf because you get out there, it's busy, people colliding. The old guys are yelling at the new people. The new people are confused because they don't know what's going on because no one's told them. And when, someone's yelling at them that you, you know no one listens that i don't if someone's yelling at me i'm just going to shut down so there's just like i don't know what the solution is it's 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 almost unmanageable i think it must be quite strange coming from being a local that lives in for instance like croyd bay or you know oceanside or somewhere like that and you've got these hierarchical chains where you've got the people that religiously surf there, they've done the time. I mean, you could really stereotype pipeline as being like that. You've got the people that there that have been out there year after year, done the time to earn their place in that lineup to take what whatever wave they want, or you know, understand the concept. If they're at a point break, this is where the wave breaks. This is where you sit. That person takes that wave. The next person moves up, and it's like a conveyor belt system. And I think that if you're new to surfing or you're like a, a Saturday and Sunday, Sunday surfer to come down at the weekend, like you said, with your foamy or whatever, to go into the scene, you don't really understand that. Then I think that's where those conflicts are going to come from, where you've got, you, you know, I, I'll use a, a Luke Siederman, the New Zealand surfers uh, analogy. The surfers, which are like people that are the hardcore guys that go in all the time, or the surfies, which are the ones that, you know, just come down and have, have a bit of fun. And I think that's where that correlation and conflict comes from. As well. I, I, gosh, I just don't, I don't really know what the answer is other than the only advice I've given is you just got to take everything on case by case because you can't manage the lineup, you know. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And we're not going to start handing out driver's licenses for surfing. Um, so... Yeah, my suggestion is just little by little as you can try to help folks understand what's going on. The yelling doesn't work. So for, for years now, um, if something continuously is going on, I, I just try to have a conversation with that person. <laughs> and if I'm at a break, like really crowded one, I'll say, hey, at the very least, 
just don't or don't do this to me. <laughs> do it to everyone else. <laughs> you see me coming, just yeah, don't drop in. <laughs> but yeah. Um, it, which sounds terrible, but it's like I, I don't know what else to do. I mean, yelling at them doesn't work either, and it's not fun. It's not. It's not. So what ends up happening is with all these onslaught of folks is um, the old idea of localism, which I do think gets a bad rap as as like um, entitled or elitist or violent thugs or all these different things. I I just think of localism as one simple word, which is respect. And respect um, comes in many forms. I mean, like I, I know you're in the martial arts. There's respect means something in, in that world, and I think it does mean something in surfing. And I would also say that it, it's a similar respect that you would give to people on land. You know, so um, when I've I've given this analogy before, but uh, kind of look at it this way. You roll up to a surf break, there's people out there, you decide to go out and engage. And um, it's similar to walking into a shop um, or the, you know, whether it's the butcher shop or a coffee shop, you walk into that space and what do you do? Do you just walk right up past everybody right to the counter and just put your face right there and place your order? Or do you kind of take a little bit of a read of the room? Is there a queue? Okay. Oh, there's a queue. All right. I'm, I've, I'm now... I have spatial awareness. I'm going to get engaged in that queue. Or if it's a butcher shop that doesn't take a number uh, and there's no queue, somehow, some way, reasonable people can kind of tell who was there before them. Oh, no, no, this person was before me. Um, and if we were, if, if we saw more people able to display that sort of spatial awareness, we, we could work this stuff out. But I think because you get people that are new and they're frightened or they don't really, they're not comfortable out there. They're sort of like in their, just their space. So they don't see that. And then the people who are very comfortable and, and, and go to that shop every day, they know how it works. They know if it's a queue or if it's a, no, just pay attention. We don't really have a queue, you know, it's just, it doesn't work that way. It's more of the meat counter thing with no number. And you got to pay attention. Um, and, and so when people sort of violate that, the one thing that I will give an example is I'll say, hey, it's, it's you, okay, you, you caught a wave, you're coming around, you're getting each one, and you, you notice that you're going around everyone. That, that's very similar to getting your coffee at the coffee shop, walking out of the shop with it, downing it and then walking right back in and cutting in front of the line in front of everybody. It's really no different, honestly. And, and the, when you start putting it into terms of how things work on land, you see the gears start turning. They start kind of getting like, oh, this isn't a free for all. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's going to take a few years of getting used to and surfing and learning that. So uh, <laughs> with the, the amount of people that are jumping in the water these days, I think it's going to be a long road ahead, if I'm perfectly honest. Which brings me yeah. on to really talking about selection of equipment when you're going into the water. So if there is a vast amount of people there, I know you've talked about it at lengths before, but you know, volume is your friend, isn't it, for surfing these days? The earlier you can get into those waves, 
the more wave count you can get and the more you can enjoy yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to look at it. I I, I don't look at it as that perspective as much as I do. Um, are, are you on the right equipment so that you can, um, of course, enjoy yourself, but but actually, you know, like functionally surf? And, you know, I, I think shortboard surfers especially are really sensitive to these sorts of ideas of volume as your friend because that is a, it's a threat to their enjoyment, you know? And so I, I, I'm trying to find ways of like looking at it of a shortboard surfer is on a very low volume board. It requires more athleticism and more know-how to really tap into that. And it's, it's harder to do anyone knows who rides a shortboard it, and so long boards and mid lengths are, are can be looked as something amazing and make your experience better they can also be viewed as a crutch um, if you're a shortboard guy you can look you're, you're actually looking up at these people because they have more volume and be a bit frustrated so instead of focusing on the, the paddling advantage i just try to look at like am i on the right type of board for my ability and for this break, you know, and, and for the way I want to surf, like what lines do I want to draw? So, um, you know, I, I tend to ride majority of the time uh, longboards. It, everyone thinks, not everyone, but if you don't live in California, you might imagine it's amazing there and, and the waves go off. Well, most of the time of the year, it's very small and weak. It just is. It's not Hawaii. It's not Indonesia. Um, we have a lot of really small, crappy days. So the longboard made sense to me. Um, I'd say more than half of my sessions, I'm on a longboard because it's quite rare that the waves are over shoulder high here. When they get over shoulder high, I feel that that, that longboard is too much board for me personally and what I'm trying to do on a wave. So I jump down to an egg or a mid-length or whatever you want to call it. Um, there's some debate about what's the right terms for what board. I, I don't really care about that stuff. Leave that to some other people to sort out. But um, <laughs> I, I, I would say the mid-length egg type board, seven foot. You know, I'm six one, one ninety, one ninety five, depending. And what I do like about it is um, it, it's enough foam for me because I'm used to low rocker boards and I'm used. I'm used to trim uh, as opposed to for getting my speed and in, in, in placement on the wave, as opposed to a shortboard, which is pumping. It's a, it's a pumping um, to get the trim speed. So dropping down in size when the waves are bigger makes a lot of sense because the longboard just becomes unwieldy and, and parts of the board, frankly, can't really be used you just have all this board sort of bouncing and flopping around in there. And, and for my own personal choice, I, I find that having, I could probably have just two boards in my life and be fantastic. Of course, I have a lot more than that, but um, I, cause I'm addicted like most of us. Um, but you know, a nine, nine traditional single fin, uh, what people call a log, I just call them a long board, but a board that has no edge. And it's a lot of inspiration from the sixties with a modern twist and then i like these sort of seven foot sometimes seven two uh, egg mid-length type of designs um, that i've ridden over the years and 
honestly, if I could just surf the ladder only, I'd, I'd be totally okay if I didn't longboard again. Um, I, I, I've longboarded myself to death, basically. I mean, it's <laughs> it's amazing, but I just, I feel, um, I don't know, I just feel more sort of open, like, unlocking myself more in, in terms of expressing what I feel about surfing. I feel it way more. Do you feel the technology is coming through for longboards now? Like, you know, you've got the Thunderbolt technology is coming through with uh, with Firewire and you've got the Taylor Jensen boards coming out now that are a little bit like the Tomo boards where they've got the modern plane hull to the bottoms where you get onto the plane, but it creates more drive and speed without, like you were saying, having to generate that drive by going rail to rail and and and, and pumping so much do you feel that that's going to almost you could play with that a little bit more as you're saying like you know you kind of feel like you've done it with longboarding yeah there's there's um i just think because you're going um faster on rail in more critical sections of the wave so i'm typically riding these boards in bigger waves so there's more energy you know, as opposed to a, a need a waist high kind of cruisy wave, there's just the risk factor and what's at stake. It's much lower. So the stakes are higher when the waves are a couple feet overhead and it, the lips throwing out and you're coming off the bottom and just really pushing, like pinning it. Like if you're on a motorcycle, just, you know, burning out around a corner um, that that that's exciting. And um, I, I don't know much about those boards you mentioned. I haven't ridden them, but I find that if it's over shoulder high, um, that the, the longboard just starts becoming a liability. You know, like it, it, I want, I'm here and I want to go there. I can't get that longboard up there as quick, you know, but other boards, it's like, wham, I'm right up there. And that's, <laughs> that's exciting, you know? And as I was saying, if I could do that, walk out here and have those conditions every day i'd be like don't get me wrong i love longboarding but i wouldn't cry like if i hadn't ridden my longboard in a year i'd be like yeah it's another good day overhead i, I prefer waves that are head high to triple overhead that's that's the any, any day just bring it on i love that you know i love that rush I wish I could say that about here in the UK, but <laughs> anything like that, it's, you know, again, far and few between. Yeah. Yeah. If it's, if, you know, I, I don't get in waves. It's really rare that I'm in surf. That's more than triple overhead on the guy, my size, which would be 18 to 20 foot face. Uh, I'm not a big wave guy. Um, I always thought that, that that would be something I would pursue, but I just, you know, I've, I've been a professional, uh, my whole life. And I don't mean, I don't mean surfer. I mean, I've, I've held down um, very committed career for a few decades now. So my, my ability to sort of get out there and travel and chase things is maybe not as much as some other people. So I tend to focus on what's happening locally and, and it rarely does it get ever bigger than that here in Southern California. One of my friends bought um, a 7.2 Channel Islands mid a few weeks back and he loves it. Um, he, he generally rides longboards. He was asking about downsizing and bought one, loves it, loves it to bits. How do you feel like the development, what's your feedback been from people and how do you feel that's gone from your perspective? Man, it has gone 
probably a hundred times better than we had imagined. So I've been working with Channel Islands for a number of years now. I, I help them um, as a consultant at just to help them with their marketing. That's my background is storytelling. I come from publishing, uh, worked at some pretty big brands in the outdoor industry. And um, so I, I help brands like Channel Islands sort of tell their story and, and you know, when we're, we're there, there was a, a mid-sized board that they were looking at putting out. And um, I just looked at it and no offense to anybody that worked on it, but I was like, you guys cannot put this board out. It's not your Channel Islands. You're the best, most like high performance brand, like the best surfboard brand in the world. Like th this, because this board that they were going to put out just was a, was not, was a little bit out of their element. They're working with the world's best shortboard surfers. And so they just happened to have someone like myself who was in the building, who has the experience with these boards. And I'm not the only one. Like, there's a number of other surfers who could have done this. Um, so it, it, it started this conversation. I was there to help with marketing, but before I knew it off to the side, I was into this design project and where it, it, it went into a space that I never imagined, which was really amazing, which was taking what I know and love of these mid-length, egg boards, whatever you want to call them. I, I mostly come from an egg background because that's um, a shape from my area through Skip Fry, Donald Takayama, and a number of other people. And looking at taking the basic elements of that egg design and in, in, in melding it or marrying it or overlaying it with the rails and the contours and the rockers and knowledge of Almeric. And that has been passed on to Brit Merrick. So we have this locker full of his templates and his rocker profiles. And so there's a board um, that Al made called the Huevo Caliente. It's the same exact outline as the CI Mid. I mean, maybe it's a millimeter off here or there, but I mean, it's, it's the board. We, we, we traced it. And what was quite different is the boards that Al made in the 73, 74 to the one we made is we brought in what we've learned since then, which is how to make a better rail because the rail on Al's board was, you know, it was pretty, pretty big. It's like a baseball bat, not very functional. You couldn't really bury it. And it had a, v, a, a panel V bottom. The panel V bottoms are great, but they're kind of tippy. They kind of go, Woof. they go, Woof. you know, and that's what a lot of the egg boards have. But what Al had done with the Trifin boards that he worked on with Tom Curran and Kelly Slater and a number of other surfers, anyone who's listening that knows the brand, knows the sort of history and the players that helped with the development. But, you know, Al essentially took Simon Anderson's Trifin and made it much better. You know, he refined it and ended up with uh, what some people call spiral V or double barrel concave. And that's when you, you have kind of a, some, some V um, between the fins, but in between that point and the rail is a, is a concave space, um, a much subtler version than say like a bonzer. A bonzer is a more extreme um, contour. Um, and, and a lot of Al's magic is in the subtleties of the things that, that he did with his designs. And then the, the rail, the Almeric rail is just amazing. And it's probably the most copied rail on the planet. Um, so this is kind of a long answer, but, but what was cool about it is that I was exposed to things that I wouldn't normally be thinking about. 
You know, if, if I was just sort of in the Takayama camp or the craft board builder camps of the friends and the people that I roll with, I maybe wouldn't have gone down this path. And so it was a really cool, just not planned, very organic um, collaboration where there was this bit of push and pull of like what I thought, what I believed in the best things of these boards, but then hearing some ideas from, from the Merrick side. And then we came out with this board and, and to be frank, I'm, I'm not, you know, we're not going to try to pretend that no one has made a board like this. I think that would be ridiculous to say that. I think what's been special about it is that having it sort of unfold in, in, in the channel islands world, like people that grew up um, my age and older, ripping on the Almerics, but they find themselves getting into their 50s and either injuries, health, or whatever, or just want a different line, um, are now exposed to this board that, um, again, isn't just about catching waves, because I, I, that kind of irks me a little bit. I, I think the focus of those boards should be more about the line you're drawing than the paddle advantage, because clearly it's a different line, you know? And there's something quite beautiful about it and, and what sort of data backs that up is if you look at pull up videos of Torin Martin, pull up videos of Mikey February, um, even pull up videos of myself. Well, why, why do they do so well? You know, people really freak out about them and it's because it's a type of surfing that is accessible and, and sort of attainable, you know, I jokingly say, I mostly go straight. You know, I try to take the piss out of myself. I'm not doing anything that radical. It's not, you know, that risky. Um, but it feels good when you're doing it to to drop and climb and 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 fly down the line and then be able to redirect in a big swooping turn. I just can't think of a better feeling. And so, it's been a success at Channel Islands, I think, because a lot of people who normally wouldn't be open to riding that kind of board because it's retro or it's giving up <laughs> or it's a crutch. I think the Channel Islands sort of, you know, the blessing or whatever, um, opened the door for a lot more people to try it. And I think the what's going to result is without sounding cheesy is just more smiles, more people enjoying themselves as, as it sounds like your friend is. Yeah, I mean, he, he loves it. I mean, from an outsider, when I look at the way that what you what you and Britt have done with, with the CI is you've almost, I hate to say the word, you've used a brand to reinvigorate something, which I don't know, you could take that any way that you want to, but that's yeah. what it feels like. And And now in the UK, if you go to any surfboard shop or you look online at people, what they're selling, there are pretty much equal numbers of longboards, mid-lengths yeah. and shortboards where, you know, 10 years ago, that would be stocked up with shortboards pretty much, you know, your classics, your, your Channel Islands, your JSs, your DHs, all those sort of like... Or longboards. There wasn't a lot of that middle ground as much. Yeah, I mean, there were a few longboards, um, you know, around here still, but there was what we would call a minimal, which is, you know, what was then sold in shops to people that were beginning. So you weren't sold a longboard, which is what I learned to surf on, which was amazing. That's what I advise people these days. 
or you know you just mugged everything off and you went spent a few hundred pound and and you bought a short board so there was no there was none of that mid ground and like i said before i think what you've done is almost kind of rebranded something that was already there made a really really good board that people can ride and let them try lots of different things and with you know you know you mentioned those names already you know you've got your tom currens you've got your Toro Martins, they're all doing what you're doing, but just in a, in a different way and in a different platform, which I think is amazing because the variety of surfing at the moment, uh, today and for the future, looks amazing, I personally think. Those are all the positives. I know a lot of people like to focus on the crowds, and but there are a lot of really, like you said, there's a lot of really positive things like that happening. And the, the best part of the board for me is that it works, you know, with, and this isn't, you know, I didn't expect to come on here and talk to you about this subject, but I guess I could say I, I just I feel really proud of the board. If, if that can, if I can say that without sounding arrogant, you know, because we put a lot of work into it, and even my wife said that. You know, it's just like you, you know, it's amazing that it's worked out the way it has because you did put a lot of energy into it, and I really cared. You know, we we did uh, twelve versions of it, twelve versions of it in like fourteen months of just like, okay, no, we just kept tweaking rocker, the depth of the contour, the V, where, where it started, where it exited. We even had a version toward the end where the V came off the tail and it was almost like a little bit of a ridge, almost like a tiny bit of a high point behind the fin box because of the way that the double came off. And you'll see that on like bonzer boards. And it's a pretty common feature to keep that. And I was riding it uh, over in Hawaii and a, a really like amazing underground sh shaper, Neil Norris, uh, Valley Island surfboards for anybody who knows that. He makes boards for Clay Marzo and some interesting people over on Maui. He's like, dude, this board's amazing. Like he wanted to, like he basically copied it. He's made, he's made his own version of it. He loved the board so much. He's like, but why do you have this little bit here on the end? Like, I, I think you should consider just grind it off. I mean, and I'm talking, I mean, this is like a minuscule amount and ground it down. And then it just took the board to another level to where it was releasing more off the tail. So it's just, it was so fun to like, see, be a part of it, all the different versions and not just be like, oh, we made a mid length. Here you go. <laughs> you know, it's, it definitely was tested and vetted with not only me, but a number of other surfers. So, but it's cool to see and, and the demand for it is insane, you know, because of COVID, there are more people surfing than ever, as we've, you know, we're talking about, I heard there's like 2.5 million new surfers because of COVID. I don't know what if that number was in the US or in the globe. I can't remember. Someone listening might know where that number came from, but what that has impacted is uh, surfboards. Like normally, let's say before COVID, you could order a Channel Island custom board and have it in roughly eight weeks, you know, worst case scenario. That's pretty good to go online, order a board, go to the shop. Eight weeks later, you're holding a board that you now it's double to triple that. And, and the reason is um, there's just way more people ordering boards and we have a labor shortage. You know, it, it is not a type of job that people are dying to do. Um, it is a dirty job. It is a hard job. So um, COVID is, is, is impacting the lineup, but it's also impacting businesses, good and bad. 
if, if you're in the surfboard, um, the hard goods business, there's no end in sight right now. You know, you, you cannot make enough equipment. The same with mountain biking and any other sort of outdoor. Because I don't know what the lockdowns are like where you're at, sister, but, but the ones that we've had in the States, people are still able to go out and exercise. Yeah, we're still going out exercising, but there's a um, almost like a circumference area where you can go. If you go up onto some of the commons or some of the uh, nature reserves, you've got police that are going around and taking the VRNs of of uh, of people's registrations and just checking they're from the local area because we've got people coming. Because I live in the southwest of England, where Croydon and Saunton is, you've got people driving from London, the the northeast, and yeah, they're, they're kind of kind of taking the mick a little bit with it but you know you're still able to get on like you say the outdoor pursuit industry i think is is booming at the moment which is which is really good because it's getting people out of their stereotypical nine to five jobs sat behind the desk and and doing their computer work going home and throwing something in the microwave and eating it and it you know it's making them more active which you know it is a positive thing which leads to more crowds but there you go you can't have everything can you (laughs) We can't, but um, yeah, well, I, I think you should, hopefully you get to try one of those boards. You should ask your friend if you could borrow it sometime, if he'll let you. You mentioned a few names like Michael February and people like that, Tom Curran. They've got a very unique style. Who did you used to watch or grew up with that you feel that you gained your style from? Um, a lot, of, probably a lot when um, I was a teenager, um, I, I have a guy down the street. Um, his name is Joel Tudor. You might have heard of him. <laughs> and so he, he was, uh, his brother and I are the same age. Joel's two years younger and same age as my brother. So um, there was a community of. And that's it. Part one over. Please tune in to next week for the second installment of the podcast with Devin Howard. If you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe on your podcast provider and also leave a comment on iTunes. You can also find us on The Grumpy Surfer on Instagram. Thanks for listening.